Happy Tuesday and welcome into a special election edition of the Unrivaled Podcast as we jump away from the football field to hear from Dwight Galt, who spent a critical portion of his life as a lobbyist in our nation's capital. Now, before we get to that conversation, we have to remind you that the Unrivaled Podcast is powered by Rocket Mortgage, proud mortgage partner of Penn State Athletics. The alarm clock goes off in the morning. Are you going to hit the snooze button or are you going to get up and attack the deck? Compete in everything you do. Unrivaled, the official podcast of Penn State football. Let's dominate now. Here's your host, Mitch Gerber. Dwight Galt, Assistant AD for Performance Enhancement, joins us on a special edition of the Unrivaled Podcast. Now, you're probably sitting here wondering, why is Deej talking politics on Election Day? Well, little did we know until a couple weeks back, this man had a, a quite the interesting life pre-football. So he's here to provide us some entertainment, whether you're driving into the polls, watching wall-to-wall coverage all day long about the election, or just kind of looking for a unique story on one of the most privileged days we have as American citizens. Now, Deej, first off, I appreciate you taking the time, but before we dive into your pre-football life, what does Election Day mean to you? Thanks for having me today, Mitch. It's great great visiting with you. Um, you know, this is the way I was raised with my dad working on Capitol Hill for 30 years. You know, it really, uh, in the way he described his job and how critical the government was here at the United States, it, uh, it really made voting a lot more than just a privilege. It made it, um, you know, a privilege and a right. It made it more of an obligation that we have the purest form of government, you know, in the history of mankind, in my opinion, and the, a true democracy really needs the, you know, the people to, to dictate and determine, you know, who's going to be leading them in government. So I was raised that, that voting is, is an absolutely essential duty for every American. When it comes to the government, what is your family's history with that? Well, we, uh, you know, we've been in Washington D.C. area for about 250 years, so uh, we've had a lot of my my ancestors have been working with the federal government throughout the years, and then my dad, uh, my dad met my mom. Uh, my mom was uh, from Idaho, and uh, she came to Washington D.C. with a with a senator um, to be on his staff. Uh, moved from Idaho there, and he met her when he was working at the Capitol, and they got married. And, um, so they. That's kind of how our family got started, period, is on Capitol Hill. And my dad subsequently worked for, for 30 years in the U.S. Capitol building. So um, it's been a, a long family ride. It goes back many, many generations. You've got a lot of roots buried there, to say the least. Uh, oh, yes, <laughs> What are your first memories of Capitol Hill? You know, my dad, um, back in the day when I was young, my dad would take me to work occasionally, probably start when I was like eight or nine years old. And, um, you know, he was right in the, in the Capitol building and, Back then, you know, the security wasn't really what it was. So <laughs> he pretty much kind of took me on a couple of tours and told me what I, where I could and couldn't go. And then he just said, okay, do what you got to do. So basically I was a, a young lad kind of roaming all around the Capitol building. And uh, it was really neat. I mean, I still – I don't have the best memory in the world, Mitch, but I still remember, you know, walking along the hallways of the Capitol and checking out a lot of the stuff in there. And every now and then he'd get me in one of the chambers so. – Senator of the House of Representatives, I'd be able to sit up in the, in the gallery and, and watch the proceedings, which, to be really honest, aren't super exciting most of the time, not like it is on TV. It's usually like five senators in there at a time. Um, but it was it was really a neat learning experience. And then as I got older, 
Um, you know, he'd go in late to work on occasion, take me in, and we'd go to the baseball games at the end and end of the day. And it was a lot of fun. And really gave me an appreciation for really what my dad did and, and how neat the government was. A couple of national games, to say the least, in there. Actually, it was it was the Senators. Oh, the yeah. Senators. That's right. Yeah, before they moved to Minnesota. So, you know, it was pretty pretty neat. Though. I was we were huge baseball fans back then. Well, I grew up in Minnesota, so I'm sorry that we uh, stole your baseball team, but I'm glad you have one back now <laughs> yeah. with the Nationals. So when it comes to those experiences on Capitol Hill, you're running around the Capitol. I'm sure you're seeing all these different political figures, right? What do those individuals go through that we don't realize as American everyday citizens? Um, it's just, I think it's just the pressure of, of representing your constituency, you know, um, and that's that's one thing I think is absolutely essential. Obviously, when when somebody is elected in office, he doesn't get 100% of the votes. You know, there, there's people that that vote for the other candidate or candidates, and uh, so he has a majority. Obviously, he or she has a majority, but they don't, you know, they don't have the the total you know support of everybody in their you know that's part of their constituency. So, when you come in, I think it's absolutely essential that you don't just satisfy the needs of the people that voted for you. You're, you're responsible to satisfy the needs of everybody. And I think that's one thing that we're going through in our country right now a little bit. And uh, that, that's one thing that, that my dad taught me, that my education taught me right there, is that you're responsible for everybody, even the people that didn't vote for you. So I think a lot of times that brings, you know, it brings some conflict into some philosophical conflict, especially since the Democratic and Republican parties have different approaches um, on how to run government. So I think that's kind of the biggest thing is trying to always satisfy your constituency. And a, and a good legislature takes, takes that to heart. How have you applied those lessons that you learned back then to your life today? <laughs> good question, Mitch. Uh, kind of got me on that one. Um, you know, it's, I think it's the same thing here with, um, you know, being a strength coach for the past 36 years. Um, all of our athletes are different. They're all, they're all different. And um, what motivational technique may work for one may not work for another one. And you can't just say, well, I'm going to work with the kids that are easy to work with because it's a lot more enjoyable. You've, you've got to work with all of them. So I think one thing that's taught me is to keep an open mind, uh, be patient, um, but be persistent, be persistent. And, uh, and really, even though the people may not agree, some of my players may not agree with some of the things that we're doing, as much out of immaturity as anything else, then you still you know, have to be patient with them and continue to, to work with them and develop them and mature them. So I think that's a little bit of what I kind of got from my upbringing, you know, with government politics around D.C. So I was in D.C. not too long ago. Well, I guess during the COVID pandemic, it is a while ago at this point. But when you're driving past those monuments and you look at the White House, you look at the, uh, the different structures around D.C. just in general, what do those monuments mean to you? Because as a, as a person that just takes in the, the history lessons of those, but you were around those pretty much every single day for a chunk of your life. Yeah. What do they mean to you? You know, it's funny because as a kid, you know, obviously I didn't, I thought it was cool, but I didn't really understand it or appreciate it. But, um, you know, when I started working down there, I started working down there when I was 19. I worked there for seven years uh, for a big oil and gas pipeline company as, as a lobbyist. And uh, once I started working down there and actually working in, you know, I was in the Capitol all the time. I was in the Senate and House office buildings all the time. I've been in the White House like five times just as a, you know, as kind of a, uh, a helper for one of our executives at our company, things like that. Um, 
then it comes, oh my gosh, this is really cool. You know, you're, you're right in the center of, you know, the most, uh, you know, one of the most prestigious governmental systems out there. So it, it really took on another meeting once I got older and more mature and really appreciate, you know, the operation of it. And it's an amazing, it's an amazing system. There's no doubt about it. The checks and balances that, that we came up with 250 years ago and the fact that it still, you know, works the way it does is, is really amazing. I want to come back to your life as a lobbyist here in a second, but first, I've never been in the White House, and I know a lot of people listening to this podcast also have never been in the White House. Take us on like a, a quick little virtual inside your head tour of what you remember about the the White House, the most prestigious building in arguably the world. Well, there's there's kind of two parts of the White House, you know. Um, one part is the part that you kind of see on TV and seeing all the pictures, and you know that's the kind of the public part. Um, I never, never obviously got into those, you know, uh, the, but the, the, the key parts of the white house are the ones where the work gets done, you know, and, uh, you know, obviously there's, there's thousands of employees in there and they have auxiliary buildings that are attached to the white house as well. So that's kind of the part that, that I was involved with. And it's just work. It's work. I mean, they, they get after it, uh, you know, the information that, that goes through that building and that, that system of buildings there in the white house is is probably second to none in in the world it's it's pretty hard to to do that job correctly without just unbelievable flows of of information and then the analysis of that information so you can make decisions that that impact the history of the world really so i think that's kind of what i remember is hey this isn't really all glamour this is roll your sleeves up and work and you know run government the best you can so it's not all the uh, green grass, front lawn, movie scene type of thing when you walk around there necessarily. No, not at all. These, these people work. It's, it's quite an environment there. What is life like as a lobbyist? You know, it's, um, I enjoyed it. You know, I enjoyed it. It was, uh, you know, I worked for a large oil and gas pipeline based out of Houston, Texas. So we, you know, back in the 70s and 80s, obviously we had some energy, you know, situations in the country that, that we were trying to figure out um, with gas gasoline supply and, and crude oil supply and things like that. So um, there was a ton of interaction between the oil and gas industry and government right there at that point to try to figure out, okay, how are we going to do this? And luckily we've, we've progressed tremendously in the last 40 years since, since that happened, but um, it was really a neat experience. It was really a neat experience and, you know, getting to, you know, taking, you know, the, executive approach from a, from a large fortune 500 com- company and then going to speak with legislators that have the ability to, to enact and, and propose law that, that affects your business is, is a pretty neat partnership. And uh, it, it helped me here because obviously with coach Franklin and, and our football program, you know, relationships is so huge. It's so huge and you can't pay it lip service. You can't, you can't do relationships because, Oh, if you want to be a good coach, you have to be a good relationship. You got to do it because you believe it and you want to do it. And I think that being a lobbyist is the same thing. I mean, you've got to establish relationships. You've got to establish trust. Um, and, and then you've got to be an honest person. You know, you can't, when, you, when you're dealing with this and trying to get, you know, trying to get your point of view across and trying to get legislation written up in a certain way, you know, you have to be prepared and you have to be honest. So I think there's a, there's a lot more parallels than, than I really thought about, you know. When it came to you pitching something to one of these individuals, how much pressure was in that moment? You know, um, I was kind of, it was early in my career and I was never really, I'm going to be really you know, transparent here. I was never really in a situation that, 
uh, most of the time I was supporting the pitch man, to be really honest, you know. And uh, But it takes an unbelievable amount of preparation, and I did a lot of that preparation. I was the one that was kind of behind the scenes building up, building our case, you know, um, with the written word and, and preparing all the, you know, all the data and information that, that my my head lobbyists that, that were above me would, would pitch to the legislators. So, but yes, it takes a tremendous amount of, uh, you know, of time and effort preparing. It's just like preparing for practice in a game. You know, all the hard work goes, you know, before the game even comes. Um, and then, but then you have to have the ability to really do a great job face to face as well. So yeah, it's, there's many different facets to, to being successful in, as a lobbyist. Let's come full circle on this thing. So people are probably sitting there wondering, okay, so if you were doing all this in D.C. and you were headed down the political route, and now somehow you're tied to football. So how did those two worlds collide? Oh, gosh. Uh, the good Lord just didn't want me doing it, Mitch. <laughs> so it was just, uh, I mean, I I played sports my whole life, you know, mostly basketball, and uh, I loved it. And uh I just one, you know, I'm in a, I'm in a building. I'm in a suit every day. I'm driving downtown every day. And one day I just woke up. I said, "Gosh, what, what am I doing? Is this really what I want to do?" And uh, you know, I was still very involved with with basketball and with fitness and, and things like that. So I started lifting. I started lifting weights. And uh, just one day I just said, "This is just not really what I want to do." And it was really difficult. It was difficult for my family at that point. I I was married and I had a daughter a young daughter and my dad had, uh, had been retired by then, but he knew that I was in a really good situation for success, you know, as the world would, would visualize it, you know, uh, I gave it all up and I went to work at Safeway bagging groceries and went back to school to get my master's degree in exercise phys. So obviously my dad thought I was nuts. <laughs> you, know, he's, you know, his whole thing was responsibility. You got a family, you got a kid, what are you doing? Um, but my wife was unbelievably supportive. She said, Hey, she said, there'll be some hardships. We'll do what we got to do. But if this is what you, where your heart tells you, let's do it. So I, I owe a lot to her, uh, without her support, you know, it, it would have been a pretty tough thing to do. Um, so fast forward 36 years, you know, i started volunteering. I volunteered for six years and went from bagging groceries to being a meat cutter for 11 years. And, uh, and here I am, Penn State. James Franklin. That's unbelievable. Yeah. So you took a, a straight up, honest leap of faith on what you wanted to to get out of and now where you are. Yeah. And back at that time, Mitch, I mean, strength coaches was in his infancy. There was no money. And I told my wife, I said, listen, I said, we're, you know, I, we're not going to have money, hon. This is going to be a, you know, we're going to be very, you know, very low middle class, and but we're going to be doing something that, that we love and we'll focus on our kids and, It'll be a great situation, and, and fortunately, the salary situation's improved a bit over the years. And um, you know, it certainly has nothing to do with with why I do it, but it, it made it a better situation that way, at least. From your experiences during all that, going from working as a p- part of the government, if you will, being in D.C., being downtown, it's hustle and bustle, to working at Safeway. Now, fast forwarding thirty years to Penn State football. If there's somebody that's sitting out there listening to this right now that's on the fence about should I take that leap of faith and go do this or go do that, what's your message to them? You gotta follow your heart, Mitch. I you know it's just uh, I, I think that it's funny with my dad and my grandfather, you know, a lot of times the the focus in, in the older generations was provide for your family. You gotta provide for your family. And yes, you most certainly do. 
Um, but I think it's shifting a little bit to, yeah, you got to provide for your family, but you also got to follow your heart. And if you're doing something you love to do, you're going to be so much better at it than if you're doing something you don't love to do. So, you know, I, I try, I, I like being a lobbyist. It wasn't really my passion and everything. And, but I think once I got into this field, you know, my eyes were bright every day. Kind of like Coach Franklin says, I was jumping out of bed with handstands and it was just a much better situation. I was doing something I just, I was passionate about that I love. Um, you know, we work a lot of hours, we work hard here and I love every second of it. You know, so, so blessed to, to be in this career, so blessed to be here at Penn State with, with the crew that we work with and our players. And I think that that's, that love and that happiness is, is really what you got to follow. Well, if that wasn't entertainment for somebody that's driving to the polls right now or watching that wall-to-wall coverage on Election Day, I don't really know what will because that's about as Penn State-specific as it's going to get and one heck of a story from Dwight. I appreciate your time. Thank you very much, Mitch. Thanks for having me. Good snap, put down, kick is up, the kick hits the upright, no good! The Nettie Lions come up with a goal line stand! It's time for our final segment of the day called Goal Line Stand. And my biggest takeaway from today's episode with Dwight Galt came from when he was talking about following your dreams. Very impactful. Let's take a listen. If you're doing something you love to do, you're going to be so much better at it than if you're doing something you don't love to do. I like being a lobbyist. It wasn't really my passion and everything. And But I think once I got into this field, you know, my eyes were bright every day. Kind of like Coach Franklin says, I was jumping out of bed with handstands. And it was just a much better situation. I was doing something I just, I was passionate about that I loved. We'll see you next time on the Unrivaled Podcast. It's a screen. And the traffic gets intercepted. The journey. Touchdown. Unrivaled, the official podcast of Penn State football.